Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 7, Episode 17, The Born Again Identity. Let's get this show on the road. Seeing the title of this episode and then seeing the episode, it like what a brilliant title. It has been a roller coaster this last few episodes of just like reveals and shit. Yes, 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 yes. Where we are right now in viewing versus recording, I've also seen the Bobby Ghost like cliffhanger ending. So like I'm just being riddled with, hey, all those emotional beats that ruined you and made you sad. Surprise, they're all back. And like I don't I don't believe Bobby's coming back permanently. It's just a little like end of season thing for him, I'm assuming, but like we'll get to that in a few episodes. Again, I know Cass remains in the show a bit longer. So this being his introduction, like totally caught me off guard. Like I had no clue going into this that we were getting a surprise Cass episode. To be fair, the I think the episode description is like Misha Collins returns. So like Oh, is it really? Yes, absolutely. It's like the very the top billing. It's like Misha Collins returns. <laughs> you know, I actively try not to read them sometimes because they do like tend to be really poor. I will mention I recently somehow ended up reading the mini like am like yeah whatever like Disney Plus descriptions for like a bunch of X Files episodes coming up, and like I've been horribly spoiled for something towards the end of the series now. Really, you're just gonna put that in the t- bastards? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> So luckily I didn't do it here. I was actually surprised to get Cass back. Like again, as much as I knew he was coming, I had already banked on it being like, maybe next season we'll bring him back at the post gamble era. They had to bring him back pretty quickly. And we'll talk about that in critical time, but he's back. He's back. And that's so exciting. I'm very happy about this. Very happy. Yeah, I know. It's like, oh, okay. Like we've had a string of episodes that kind of like, remind us of why we like the show right because like anyway I don't want to speak for you but like for me it's season seven is always very challenging to get through and particularly this time because we had to spend so much time on each episode I was just like oh my god we're just never gonna get out of this I gave season seven a little bit more of like a you know what like let me play the optimist here sure it's weird it's different but like I'm gonna give it enough trust to say like let's see what happens and looking back in retrospect like these last two or three episodes compared to the rest of the season. And I'm like, oh God, season seven sucked. (laughs) The first half of season seven to me is like pretty awful. Like, let's be very clear. I just don't like it. I don't think it's good. Like there's a lot of potential, but it's just, I don't think the execution is where it should be. But at this point, like from Repo Man on, I feel like, like feedback was heard, right? Like they're like, oh, okay. Like we need to, Like, we need to claw back on some changes that we made in order to, like, retain our fan base. That's honestly the best way to describe it. It really feels like they tried something with season seven, got the feedback of, like, "Eh, people are kind of not. And they're like, okay, fine. Let's, how much can we reverse and, like, make it seem like now we get to recover all the mistakes. And, like, while it really just seems like, you know, execs being like, oh, you killed a character they liked, bring him back. It's being done in such a way where, like, this was a very enjoyable episode. Heck, even Meg was fun. Yeah, it was nice to see Meg. Like, there's just a lot of really cool stuff in this episode that happens. Like, we get to, like, have an almost close-up of, like, Misha's butt in his pants, which, (laughs) like, I mean, I'm never going to say no to that, so. (laughs) We'll talk about Emmanuel slash Cass a little bit in story time, but, like, just to say it now, there is a level of, again, just Misha Collins' freaking acting skills of being able to play this character who was not Cass, but has so many little Cassisms to him because it is still Cass while not being like blunt about it. Like that to me is such a weird, it's like, I can't think of a good example, but like, have you ever seen a British actor play an American character doing a fake British accent in character? No, actually, I never have seen that. I don't think. It happens on House. I'm 100% sure Hugh Laurie does it on House oh, at yes, some yes, point. Oh, yes, 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 yes. That's right. That's right. You're correct. It's that level of like, oh, I can play British because I am British, but the character I'm playing isn't. And I need to focus that through. That is one of those like little acting chop things that just like, 
Mwah. Le kiss. That was truly beautiful. And I guess on a more personal note, like you and I have not recorded like in almost a month at this point <laughs> because life hit me pretty hard like right before Christmas. I mean, you two in a different way. We all had a weird holiday. <laughs> this is literally the longest that I've gone without watching Supernatural since I started watching it in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> For listeners, during that month period, we got to see each other in person over the holidays, which is a really big bonus. Now that I live in another province, getting those like rare, like no show note related thing, just like we get to catch up with friends and each other is such like a blessing. And seeing your little one and talking video games, that was fun. I know. He plays Fortnite now. Oh my God. (laughs) I just reinstalled and updated my skins. So whenever he's online next, I can jump into a game with him. Excellent. He's going to be so happy about that. He's going to carry my ass. I am no good. (laughs) (laughs) He's getting pretty good, actually. Just letting you know. (laughs) It's a really weird thing where I do a lot of gaming, but I'm not very good at gaming. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you need to be good at stuff in order to enjoy it. It's the other people who are good that I play with that notice it and go, oh, Oh. honey. (laughs) Oh, no. Well, are we ready for the recap this week? I certainly am. Count me down. Fantastic. Three, two, one, go. Sam starts the episode running through town, kind of like at the end of his rope, we find out that he has just been fighting Lucifer in his head nonstop. And it's been like four, almost five days of no sleep. And he's pretty much on the end. And after doing some drugs with a stranger, he ends up in a hospital under a like lockdown psych ward. Dean then goes on a rampage of trying to figure out if he can find someone to help Sam, ultimately finding another hunter who had his um, blindness in one eye cured to show up and find that this surprise faith healer, one, is not there, two, his wife is being attacked by demons, and three, is bloody Cass? Uh, And not just like, there was a moment where I thought maybe it was like a lookalike thing or like a weird thing. No, no, it's actually Cass. He survived this whole mess and was found naked and wet. And this woman was like, oh boy, I'm marrying this one. And named himself after from babies.com. Anyways, and then Sam is dealing with another really regular ghost case, but in the asylum that he's in or the psych ward that he's in with this poor girl who thinks she's crazy, but is actually just haunted, which is a whole other bucket of worms that I think we can dive into a little bit. He ends up helping her. And then gets attacked by a demon through electrolysis. And then Cass remembers everything and poofs a bunch of demons. And Mega's there. And she's all like, I'm just your friend now. Deal with it. She gets a job at the hospital. Cass absorbs Lucifer. So Sam is safe, but he's possessed now by Lucifer's memories. And is in the hospital in Sam's place, which is, I guess, the thing they don't like swap each other out. It's a thing they can do, I guess. Like, check in, check out rule. But Sam and Dean are kind of back to status quo. While Cass is in an asylum being, or psych ward, sorry, being watched over by Meg, time. There's a lot that happens in this episode because this was like, we need this to happen for the plot. Like, literally, like, we need to cram all of this in. But you know what? I feel like we've had a few other episodes this season, and I think we even, like, shit-talked one of them where it was very, like, we have to cram this thing into an episode. Mm -hmm. But because this wasn't, like, let's try to fit this plot point into a pre-existing script, and it was an episode about that plot point, the cast coming back and Sam being air quotes cured i'm not sure how to phrase that properly but it worked really well and was an ultimately really fun episode i think it worked really well but i I think the reality of it is like we need to fit this into an episode right like we need to make this happen how do we make it happen and i think a lot of what happens is in direct response to that to needing to make it happen right Yet, it never felt like they were cramming too much at us. Like, I feel like sometimes, like some of the season finales in the first few seasons, it feels like they're trying to get too much into, like, a small block of time. And here, it felt like it had room to breathe. Like, we had moments just in the car having conversations with Emmanuel and Dean, and then eventually Meg, and Meg even making fun of, you know, Cass for not getting a joke. Or the the flirtation joke about him being an angel, like... There was room for levity and breath between so much happening. I mean, Sam is able to legitimately solve a case while locked in a psych ward. Like, yet it never felt like they were trying to take on too much. Like, it felt like they were spinning three or four plates, but they were doing a masterful job of it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So this episode was written by Sarah Gamble, directed by Robert Singer, and it originally aired on March 23rd, 2012. Now, this time, this is over a month after the last episode had aired. So if we're keeping count, this is two months since episode 15. One, wow. Two, that kind of makes sense given what they did with this episode. They would have actually had time to absorb that feedback. 
And also kind of weird that we also took like a huge amount of time between recording. I know, right? I know that's very true. <laughs> Our life is becoming more like the show. Oh no. <laughs> this episode is a bit of a culmination of a few things that have been building up over the last season. And this is basically what we've been talking about, right? Like, we get cast back, as we've mentioned, like Sam's mental health, quote unquote, a situation, because I really don't know how to call it. Like, it all really comes to a head. Like, mental health situation, hallucinations, like, I just, I think for the listener's sake, we might still use those terms because it's the way the show best represents it. But I think we also understand that, like, we're not using it in a clinical sense. Like, we understand this isn't a medical diagnosis of Lucifer vision. Well, that's why I'm saying mental health situation. A thing that, it, that exists for nobody else but Sam Winchester, basically. He has to be special. So do you remember how Repo Man, like, put a lot of work in, in terms of, like, trying to remind us, the audience, of, like, the supernatural good old days? Yeah, yeah. Well, this episode also reaches back for some familiar uh, plotline. Like, if we're thinking about Soulless Sam, if we're thinking about Dean and Cass's fight about putting Sam's soul back in his body, there's the cage, there's demons, Crowley's mentioned, Meg. Like, there's just all of these things that are being thrown at us, either shown or mentioned. We have this thing we need to solve, but along the way, can we just remind you of the good old days? Yeah, exactly. Like, we promise you love us, remember? I'm going to use an example that I know you're going to shrug at and you're going to hate, but like this is, this is like when your company throws a pizza party to remind, them that, remind you that they care. Or gives you a certificate. <laughs> when Dean is looking for somebody to help with Sam's, again, quote-unquote, condition, there's like a gust of wind that seems to like magically offer a solution in the form of like a business card with a cell phone number handwritten in the back of it. I have clearly not mentioned anything in this episode already that this might pertain to in future episodes regarding possible hauntings. <laughs> right, so you've already seen Party on Garth, which I think we need to be very clear about, so you know that Bobby comes back. We'll talk about that in Party on Garth, but this is another little, like, nugget of, like, what is going on here? Like, even if I may remove myself from Party on Garth, like, while I was super pleasant for that episode surprise, if I kind of like seclude myself to this episode. I was already going into this with the past incident where a page magically turned in the wind uh, when they were looking for the uh, the Amazons, I think it was. The beer disappearing. Well, the beer disappearing, we'll talk about that later. I still have my arguments about that weird one. But nonetheless, my point being, I'm already kind of in the loop of it would be kind of cool if surprise ghost Bobby. So this is leading more credence to it. So when I watched this, I already had that inkling and... We get, we'll get to party on Garth in a, in, a, in a bit. Yeah, next week. We see that one of the ways that Lucifer is torturing Sam is actually through hallucinations that have to do with food, which I think vindicates me that Sam's food issues actually have nothing to do with quote-unquote health and everything to do with traumatic memories from the cage. When this happened, I had a vivid memory of us discussing this the first time and re-watching the episode today to remind myself. It hit me again. Also, I think something in the X-Files recently had to do with food looking gross, so that's also been top of mind weirdly, but I digress. Nonetheless, yes, I think there is a level of Sam's food consumption having to do more with a level of control and peace and himself versus a, air quotes, healthy eating habits. That's why whenever we talked about it, I was always like arguing that it, I didn't think it was that, uh, which hopefully explains that now, now that you've seen it. You're like, oh. This makes more sense to me. And I think that we also need to talk about Daphne a little bit, like beautiful green-eyed Daphne. Now, Drew, I have a little piece of homework for you. Can you please take out a pen and paper? I'm going to do I'm going to do I don't have, uh, actually do I have pen and paper. I'm going to do it on my screen. I have a notepad open. Okay, perfect. I'm going to need you to spell out to write out the word, the name Daphne. So that's D A P H N E. Okay? Now, can you please cross out the P and the H? Going to get rid of the P and the H. Okay, what are you left with? D-A-N-E. Huh. If you were to rearrange some of those letters, it would spell another name. Interesting, huh? That's weird. Very weird. This, again, is one of those things where it's like, I could see someone having written this name thinking about this, and then just no one questioned it, and they were like, I'm, I'm leaving this in. <laughs> like, y'all are dealing with this. 
We find out that Dean kept Cass's trench coat this whole time and moved it from car to car as they can't use baby at the moment. That is one of those little moments where, like, I think, again, could go over someone's head. I'm just like, oh, he kept the coat. But, like, they're not in a consistent vehicle. They are jumping car to car. They have no home base anymore. They are very much, like, if you're taking something with you, it's because it's vital and you need it. Just a little, like behind the scenes of that like that was written into the script and interestingly enough like famously slash infamously Jensen Ackles has talked about it saying that at the beginning he was kind of against it saying like Dean would never do that interesting has he turned around on that we don't quite know as far as I'm aware but and that was said like many many years ago to be entirely like transparent about it again it's interesting to see like the difference in opinion about a particular character, even within the show, like the, the show creators, basically. And the episode ends with Cass taking on Sam's supernatural mental illness and staying at the locked psychiatric facility with Meg as his nurse. So like I said, I rewatched this episode kind of as a refresher before recording, because as you said, it's been like a month since we've recorded. and I watched this a month ago. Initially, I did not really pick up on the conversation Sam and Dean were having right before the reveal of Meg getting the job, that they're kind of like a friend of my enemy of my enemy is my friend type conversation. To At first watch, I didn't catch that. So to me, it very much felt like Meg was just doing this behind their back sneakily. And then now I'm realizing, no, no, they clearly knew. And they're choosing to trust her. But I still feel like this is going to be some sort of ulterior mode of Meg thing. Like, it feels too obvious for Meg to have this level of, like, I don't want to say control, but, like, power over Cass that she's going to abuse it somehow and will be a bigger issue. Meg is a demon, right? Meg is a demon. We know how demons have been acting. The one thing that is, like, on, on the brother's side is the fact that, like, she like Sam said, is the enemy of their common enemy, Crowley, at the moment. So... That's it. Let's let's at least see where that goes, because again, like, I'm still kind of team Crowley in the long run, so we'll see what happens. Oh, Crowley never did anything wrong. I'm sorry. Like, I love him. I love him. He is a perfect little guy. This week, our theme is reclamation. And like, this might seem like a very strong word for a theme, but I really do feel like this is what this episode does in so many ways that I'm so excited to actually dive into it with you. So the word reclamation comes from the Latin reclamatio, uh, which means like a cry of no, a shout of disapproval. So like to cry out against, to protest. And in the 17th and 18th century, it also took on the meaning of like calling someone back and claiming a position as something taken, taken away. Boy, do we have material to work with in this episode, both narratively and critically through this theme. <laughs> if I may start with Dean, do we ever see Dean reclaim something he lost today? Clearly, we will address the angel in the car. Cass is back and Dean is handling it surprisingly well. He's able to contain himself and be level-headed about something that I don't think many would be able to do. Losing Cass started this major decline in Dean's happiness and health that has had him spiraling downward, pretty much aiming at a serious crash in the near future. Yet despite this, and his pretty quick realization that this was actually cast in front of him, he doesn't just immediately claim this as a solution, but approaches it cautiously, like he's been learning to this season, that he needs to take things slowly and talk through them and be smart about stuff and not jump to conclusions. I am amazed at how differently we view the situation. <laughs> Like, I just find it so interesting that you think Dean is handling this well. <laughs> I think it's, I think, so, first off, like, I think that what you're saying is actually very true. Like, he has been learning this season that he does need to take it slow, that he can't just rush into things. So I think that, like, this is absolutely valid. When I look at this situation, like, I mostly see the inner turmoil about all this. Like, I think Dean handles getting cast back, like, the same way that he handles everything else in his life. Like, if you don't talk about it, then everything is going to be okay. And you can see that when Meg shows up. Like, she's pretty much very clear from the get-go that they should tell Cass who he is, and Dean is having none of it. I think that there's two reasons for that. The first being that I don't think Dean really wants to have 
to talk things through with Cass. Not, not because he doesn't want to fix things, like to be very clear, but because hard conversations are really hard for Dean, and this one would be particularly hard. I also think that the second reason is that he's concerned about the effect that it would have on Cass. Like, remember that the last time that somebody lost their memory, namely Sam, with the wall in his head that were, was blocking, like, the memories from the cage? Uh, when Sam got his memory back again, like, we're literally still dealing with that in this episode, right? So, like, he doesn't want Cass to be traumatized by those memories that he can't currently remember. He just can't lose him again right after getting him back. So this is one of those rare times where we do look at a situation differently and I completely see your side of things, but I genuinely do not feel like either one is particularly like the right versus the wrong decision. It's very much ambiguous. And the fact that we do get both sides of this and like you're 100% right, like it very much is the, I don't want to say selfish Dean, but like the... You know, like, I like I got what I want. Let's not ruin this. Let's not, like, go to the next step of dealing with things. Let it just be what it is now. Which could be very much for his own well-being, but at the same time can be for Cass's well-being. And we don't really ever get an answer as to which one he was leading in this moment. Kind of, like, both are valid. And I think it's fine for someone to have two motives for the same action if both are beneficial in the long run. So, like, I love this. I think this is, like, one of... Dean's like crowning like evolutions in this season. Yeah, I agree. And ultimately, at the end of the episode, we do get the uh, cast overhearing Dean and finally putting it all back together that we get to truly see Dean get his cast back properly. Yet Dean still seems so removed from this and does not accept it as like a free win. Like he gets, he sees Cass come back. He sees Cass get his memories back. He sees all this, but he never really celebrates it like, okay, we're back to a status quo. The season has beaten Dean so hard with the feeling stick that he simply doesn't trust anything to go right. So even getting his cast back, he's not confident that it's real. That's the fear that I, I'm sensing in Dean in this moment, right? Like, don't talk about it. Like when he's talking to Meg, for example, it's, it's like that idea, like that anxiety of like, let's just not talk about it let's not make waves let's just keep the status quo as is because he's back like and I don't want to do anything to risk it ultimately like he gets him back but he almost immediately has to leave him at the psychiatric facility right like so his fear of losing him does materialize and it's so the reclamation isn't quite complete but it's definitely a step better than what he had before right and Dean's like we can find another way like so there's there's just a lot of things that are going on and it's like, okay, this is, and, and just like from a, an audience standpoint, like a quick little detour into critical time, like you can't re like, you can't show Cass Misha Collins on screen, leave him in a psych facility and then assume that the audience is just going to be okay with that forever. Right? Like, you know, that this is done for a reason that eventually this is going to be fixed. We don't know how yet, but it is going to be. So like, we as the audience know that this is a temporary situation. I'd argue that even in an in-universe perspective, there's that same feeling because he just, he basically was like, well, Sam's dead. I've just got to find a way to like save him through magic because nothing else is an option. And lo and behold, it works. So as much as there's not like another cast who can come and cure cast from his Lucifer, he at least knows it's possible. Yeah. Well, we saved one of you. We can save you again. There's hope. That's a good word. We should. That show doesn't do it very often. <laughs> I know. I know. There's a lot of despair, very little hope. So when there is hope, I think it's really important to name it. So like you said, like he does lose Cass all over again. And, you know, there is the peace of mind knowing he's at least alive. And he's just a different kind of loss now that he's stuck at the hospital with Lucifer in his head. And you might think that you would be painful for Dean. But, like, it doesn't really get addressed in the episode, and I suspect it may later on how he feels about getting cast back and then losing him again. Like, I think that might still bubble up. But this does show us as an audience, as part of Dean, that he can have hope or be happy. You know, it, it, while still suffering a little bit. You know, uh, you know, if my recently lost love returned from the dead, professed his deepest apologies for his wrongdoings, 
and then suddenly was torn from me again in a way that I knew was within arm's reach, but I could not hold him. I'd be livid and, like, really pissed. Yet Dean, with what little time we get with him and post-cast saving Sam, seems like he's just not phased by it. And not in, like, a negative, like, he's blocking it out way, but just in a, like, somewhat civilized understanding way. And I hope I'm wrong and this was just, like, not in the episode and we didn't get enough of it, but, like, I do want to see him express himself a little more. Are we going to get that? Probably not, but I want it. The show will get into, like, the Dean and Cass conversation a little bit more. And I, I fully agree with what you're saying, like, narratively, you know, like, yes to everything. This episode does end pretty abruptly, like, we've talked about it a bit earlier. And, uh, you know, I reiterate that it does end pretty abruptly. But the reasons for that are very linked to, like, the behind-the-scenes reasons that we've also discussed, right? And we will talk about that in a bit more detail in Critical Time. So with Dean wrapped up, I guess we go to Sam. On the bright side, Sam does eventually reclaim his sanity and faculties, and we also see how close Lucifer came to reclaiming his vessel, uh, albeit as a hallucination and less reclaiming, more defeating. But that was kind of Lucifer's goal was just to really kill Sam, I think, at this point. Wow, I never thought about the fact that like Sam's demise could actually mean that Lucifer would get his vessel back. I just thought that it would mean that like Sam would die, which in and of itself is pretty awful, right? But like, but I think it's really because I saw Lucifer as purely a figment of Sam's imagination or like his memories, right? Like I didn't really see him as the actual Lucifer. So I had gone back and forth on this argument for a while of whether this was all in Sam's head or if there was some supernaturalness to it more so. And given the way that Cass absorbed it, makes me feel like there's a bit more to it than just hallucinations at this point. Like, I don't think it was fully loose for in Sam's head, but like, I don't know, like a seed or a spore of Lucifer, like some part of him that could eventually take over if allowed to grow enough. Did you just make an Mpreg joke? Is that what's going on? You know what? Partway through the conversation, I thought I did. So I tried to swerve into more of like um, the Last of Us fungus inspection. And I, I guess I didn't <laughs> swerve as well as I thought I did. So let's... Um... Lucifer's seed. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I know. As soon as I said that word, I was like, I didn't mean that word. Fuck. Oh my God. <laughs> I really do love how Sam, despite being locked up, starved, sleep deprived, was still able to help Marin like his old self. And it felt like Sam wasn't just doing it for her, but for himself to prove that he still could and he wasn't beaten. And I think reclaiming a part of yourself that might seem out of reach due to circumstances beyond your control like this can be so important. And speaking from personal experience, it can be a powerful tool in healing yourself. Yeah, I mean, remember when we talked about, like, the meaning of reclamation, like, that shout of no? I feel like this is really where we're seeing it, like, because Sam was really hanging on to that piece of himself. Like, Lucifer took so much away from him. His sleep, his safety, both physical and emotional. Uh, he inflicted, like, untold trauma on him. Like, I could go on, right? Like, we've been seeing this for the entire season. So Sam lost a lot of himself to Lucifer. And I think that helping Marin was like a way to remind himself of who he was, who he is, actually. And and it's his own shout of like, no, like, I'm unwell right now, but I'm a person who helps others. And so I'm going to help this person. And I think that it's really a testament to like how mentally strong Sam actually is. Um and I also think that he seems to know that like if things continue and he can't get any sleep, like he's actually going to die. And I think that, you know, like if he has to die, then he wants to die as himself. And like, this is one thing that Lucifer just can't take away from him. It's his, it's Sam's shout of no. If I'm going down, I'm going down swinging. Uh, but ultimately... Sam does reclaim his mind at the cost of the newly reunited cast now having to take his place, which I think is something that will likely see an effect on Sam. Like, I think there'll be a level of guilt that Sam's going to feel that, like, yes, Cass sort of put him in this place to begin with, with the whole, like, Sam, you know, a Cass being all over the top in the end of the last season. 
but like Sam's guilt for not having reclaimed his life on his own, but rather passing the pain on, I think is going to leave him with some sort of lasting pain or trauma that we're going to see develop. Mm, I mean, maybe. I think it's important to remember that the whole reason why Sam is in this situation to begin with is because of Cass. Like, he's the one who broke the wall in his mind. And Cass does take full responsibility for that. And he apologizes to Sam. So it's pretty clear that, like, this is all a result of Cass's choices and that Sam would have died without Cass intervening. So, like, I understand what you're saying, but I do think that in this particular case, like, there's... It's not like Cass just, like, helped Sam out of the goodness of his heart. You know what I mean? Like, he felt... He felt compelled to, to to right his wrongs, I guess. Like, I cannot imagine a world in which we get to a part of the, whether it be this season or next season, however you want to work it, that they begin the how do we save Cass storyline, and Dean is all for it, and Sam's like, no, he put me there in the first place, he deserves this. I think ultimately... Sam will be on Dean's side in this one. Like, I can't imagine that world. And it's like equal parts in my head of like Sam feeling like, yes, he did this to me, but he doesn't deserve this pain. I owe it to him. He saved me. I should save him. Even if he started all this because I'm a good person in versus just the, it's my brother's boyfriend. I got to save him. Yes, absolutely. I fully agree with that. I think that that's what's going to happen. And we'll see. We'll see very soon. If we can move on to Cass very briefly, I I do think that we need to talk about him for obvious reasons. Like, he's back! We get to talk about Cass again! (laughs) Yay! (laughs) We get a third heading in our notes! I know! I love that! I love that! I I had missed it. (laughs) I was like... um... So Cass reclaims his identity in this episode, right? Like, so for the last few months, he'd been living as Emmanuel, living as a married man, married to a woman named Daphne, which like, okay, by the way, I need to talk about Daphne again because she has like two lines in this episode, but she's doing so much work. Like she found a naked man with amnesia in the middle of the woods. And she was like, yes, this one, this one's going to be my husband. And then one day, A random man shows up at her house, saves her from a demon who had tied her to a chair, takes her husband on a car ride, and then never brings him back. Right away, my brain is like, you know that meme of Jeremy Clarkson? I I linked it in the notes if you want to look at it, but just the, oh no, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's the thing. Maybe Daphne is going to be looking for her husband, (laughs) you know? And then like when she does eventually like, in seven seasons from now, when she eventually bumps into them on a case and is like, oh my god, Emmanuel, and Cass is be like, oh, right, yeah, I was married, shit, um. Actually, one thing that I forgot to mention up in the long game is the fact that Cass is now married. Cass is married. I don't know how to ask this question without just being like, spoil me. Do we ever see Daphne again? We never see Daphne again. <laughs> Is she ever brought up again? But Cass never gets a divorce. <laughs> oh, and this is how polycules happen by mistaken fanfics. I love this. I love this so much. Cass coming back is great. Him being able to reclaim his identity and himself and his memories and, you know, t- ultimately take ownership for what he did to Sam. Very sacrificially, like, let me carry the burden type thing. Very, very Sam and Frodo there. It, it did really have, like, a hurried along kind of, like, I, I almost would have liked an episode or two of Emmanuel figuring it out and, like, slowly getting things back versus just, like, Meg flirted with me? No, I'm an angel. Let me smite some demons and I remember everything. Like, it was very quick and okay. Also, yeah, like you said, deus ex Daphne, like... I feel like, again, I just I just did another recording on the Gate Leapers podcast where we did some really horrible fanfic readings. Um, and man steps out of Lake completely naked with no memory, just screams someone writing a supernatural fanfic to put them in a, one of the characters in a new scenario. So the fact that it fell into this season is just like chef's kiss of writing. I will never talk about fan fiction in a bad way just because like, you know. Oh, <laughs> that was not a negative thing. It just had very like 
fanficy tropes. Like it, it very much my first fanfic. It feels like. So if we can come back to like Cass claiming or reclaiming his identity, we're seeing that like in this particular case, the process also comes with a lot of pain. He's feeling tremendous guilt and shame for the things that he's done, and rightfully so, right? Like let's 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 you know let's be honest. And he's also overwhelmed with the fact that like he can never make it all. Right. And I think that that's also one of the reasons why he takes on Sam's Lucifer, right? His Lucifer situation. It's to make penance, basically. For an episode that otherwise I feel like had very little to like pick at, like the Daphne thing almost is more comedic than it is silly. The the on the noseness, which isn't a bad thing per se, of like Cass literally taking the blame and taking the consequences of his actions in such a literal sense. It's very blunt, but like I'm very curious to see how this develops for Cass. I think just the moment where we do get like Cass's like one quick glimpse of Lucifer and he makes the comment his brother makes me very intrigued to see how they're going to move forward with this for Cass. You awaken in the darkness of your bedroom, the shadows dancing across the floor as lightning strikes once again. Out of the corner of your eye, you think you see something move. You reach for your phone in hopes to illuminate something that you hope isn't there. Your fingers find only table as you place your palm flat on the empty space your phone once occupied. A tickle along your pinky as it collides with the charging cord. You slowly trace the cable down to the floor and underneath the bed. You don't recall the cable being nearly this long as you feel each nick and bend in it. Finally, you reach the end and you at last hold your phone, grabbing it and pulling both it and yourself back into the safety of your covers. The bright display flashes on and suddenly your night vision, which had very slowly begun to adjust, is lost. You click on the flashlight begin to scan your room, looking for anything, something, you're certain must not be here. The shapes of darkness that once loomed eerily dissolve in the spotlight. Objects are revealed to you that once could have been creatures in the night, intent on devouring you. Soon your heart slows back down to its resting state, and your blood is no longer pumping loud enough for you to hear. Turn off the light once again, submerging yourself in a dark void, and let your phone return to its place on your bedside table. You pull the covers up around you, as close to covering your head as you can without suffocating, and you close your eyes before you begin to see anything else that may or may not be here with you. If we go back to some critical discussions that we've had this season, uh, we're going to remember that I had said that I thought that killing off Cass was a profound mistake on the part of the show. And I'm clearly not the only one who thought that, as I've mentioned before. Um, When Cass died in Hello Cruel World, that was supposed to be his exit off the show. Like the character who was supposed to be in three episodes of season four was going to get killed off for good three seasons later. Uh, Or so the showrunner at the time, Sarah Gamble, thought. Um, fans were so upset by the decision that they wrote letters, they used social media, they campaigned, basically, to get cast back on the show. And it worked. And so this episode was never meant to be the way that it was, like, which I think explains some of the awkwardness at the end. Like, they had already planned episodes to come after and before that. And so it did have to be kind of crammed into this one somewhat self-contained episode, right? So... They had a way, they had to find a way to bring Cass back, to shelf him for a little bit, and then to reorganize the end of the season to include him. So like that must have been, I can't even imagine what that must have been like in in the writer's room, right? And I think, I just think that this says so much about the power of fandom, particularly the supernatural fandom, and like the power that we have to say no to certain things. 
changing gears like ever so slightly, I also want to come back to this idea of like the show being forced, I guess, to reclaim or to come back to its previous identity by referencing old episodes, like by bringing back demons, by bringing back Meg, and most notably to by bringing back Cass. Um, this is all in an effort, really, to make good on the promise that was made to fans back in Repo Man two episodes ago, uh, that the show was still the show that we'd all fallen in love with. To know that now, that there was... Th this episode needed to be what it was. Uh, and the idea, too, of bringing Cass back and then finding a way to shelf him temporarily while they found a way to work him in properly to still be able to ultimately execute the vision they had for this season. Um, you know what? For anyone on that team who was involved in this, whether they were on board or against Cass's return, kudos for doing a really good job with this episode. I'm looking forward to the rest of this season and eventually getting cast back in the main trio. But that is a lot. Like I've been in some very small production teams doing things where like, hey, last minute, huge shift and having to scramble to fix stuff. That's impressive. So good for them for what they were able to do. And I am ultimately like the fans who campaigned for this, happy with the results and excited for the future of the show more than I was in the last little bit. This week, we have a message from Asher. Before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. To respond to anything we discussed today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Mary and I will be answering the question, have you ever reunited with someone after a long time, and how did it go? For our Roadhouse supporters, Honor and Paula talk. Stay to the very end of the episode to hear a short clip. Hi, Marie. Hi, Drew. My name is Asher. Um, you can call me Asher AJ. Um, I go by he, they pronouns. Uh, firstly, I want to start off like most voicemails do and say I absolutely love the show. I have technically listened almost from the beginning, but then I'll be honest in saying I didn't listen very closely. I was just listening to help you guys get higher numbers and bring people in which was kind of a disservice to myself, honestly. I'm not even sure what fully got me back into listening, but I restarted from the beginning and actually listened to all of it, and I just absolutely regret not, not listening sooner. I was waiting to make a comment about the Heaven and Hell episode and things I didn't realize on my first watch through, but then I was listening today at work to Season 6, Episode 11, Appointment in Samara, and I just could not keep my thoughts to myself for a minute longer because it made my brain itch. I know Drew has watched Doctor Who, and if I'm correct, I believe neither of you have watched the BBC version of Sherlock that is a modern take on Arthur Conan Doyle's stories of Sherlock. I've seen all of Sherlock, and I actually watched... Sherlock before I got into Supernatural, but I never made the connection before today. I think part of the reason this hit me is because only about a month ago I did a full rewatch, and in season four, episode one, it is named The Six Thatchers. I won't spoil the Sherlock episode, but we get told at the beginning of the episode the story of Appointment in Samara which I'm gonna quote directly from the Sherlock episode because the story itself like, it's kind of ambiguous, um, but there was once a merchant in a famous market in Baghdad. One day, he saw a stranger looking at him in surprise, and he knew the that the stranger was death. Pale and trembling, the merchant fled the marketplace and made his way many, many miles to the city of Samara, for there he was sure death could not find him. But when at last he came to Samara, he saw waiting for him the grim figure of death. Very well, said the merchant. I give in. I am yours. But tell me, why did you look surprised when you saw me this morning in Baghdad? Because, said death, I had an appointment with you tonight in Samara. The message behind the story is that you cannot escape death. 
And that is essentially what this episode of Supernatural is stating. It is their time to, the, time to die, and you cannot cheat death. I'm not super smart and critical, so I will leave the rest of analyzing this up to you guys, but I was listening to you talk about the cr- characterization being off, and while I think it technically is for the characters themselves and the story as a whole, I feel like for this episode and the title, this kind of fit perfectly. And this is not, I don't think that the appointment in Samara is really something a lot of people know, but yeah, I just really wanted to share this and hear your thoughts. Thank you so much for listening to me ramble. I hope this made any kind of sense and I will talk to you guys later. Asher, thank you so much for this for this voicemail. Like I I so appreciate it. First off, I have watched Sherlock, the BBC version. I was pretty obsessed with it at some point. I am a little less well-versed with the last season just because I, I just I simply did not enjoy it as much as I enjoyed the rest of the of the series. So like the six Th- Thatchers, I have watched a little less. But I do remember so I had watched BBC Sherlock before supernatural but then when i went back to bbc sherlock out because i i usually do a rewatch at least of the first couple of seasons like every christmas for some reason like it just feels like a very christmasy thing to do although i didn't do it this year actually note to self maybe one day that it's like snowing i'll just put it on when i did one of those rewatches i was listening to the six thatchers and i was like oh my god they're telling the story of appointment in samara and then i thought back to that supernatural episode now, I can't remember what we said about that episode, unfortunately. We talked about the characterization being off. But I i mean, I think... Hmm. Okay, now you're giving me brain warms. You're, <laughs> you're making my brain itch because you cannot escape or cheat death. I mean, I think that this is something that's going to become very apparent, especially near or nearer the end of the series um, in ways that I can't really quite talk about right now oh my god oh no <laughs> hey Jay, what have you done <laughs> yeah i mean i'm really thinking about the last season of supernatural right now about not being able to escape or to cheat death that and that's all i can say that's all i can say i'm so sorry i'm so sorry <laughs> well i could swoop in and steal the conversation for a bit because i have what to say and firstly ash thank you uh, I, too, have watched the BBC Sherlock. And like you, Mary, the first, like, six episodes, seasons one and season two, I feel like I've watched multiple times, but everything since then, I don't think I've gone back to. So while I know the episode by title, and I did do a quick Google search as we were listening to the voicemail, it's one of those things that where I need to go back and watch it again now that I've seen the episode appointment in Samara and I've read the uh, corresponding um, short story slash poem. So I'm very intrigued to like kind of have that like real. I want to have the itch you had, Ash, again. So I think that'll be the rest of my day. Today will be some Sherlock binging. But the one thing we talk about the characterization, I remember having a bit of a conflict with the way Dean treated some of the, um, I want to say victims in air quotes here that he had to um, take and how he let the first guy suffer because he was kind of like, this guy's an ass. He deserves it. And then there's the gentleman who has the heart attack from eating too much. And he kind of has another like, I'm not going to like let him suffer, but I'm still going to be a dick towards him because he kind of did it to himself. And then ultimately the little girl who he's like, I don't want to kill. And then he sees the chain of his like negative choices and how like very final destination. You can't escape death. Death comes for us all in the end. You can prolong the inevitable, but you're only going to make things worse. I, I have that very like solid like mental image of Dean in my head right now. And I want to hold on to it because I am now going to go rewatch uh, the six Thatchers with the rest of Sherlock as a whole. And I really want to get to that. And I also kind of feel proud that I finally have completed the trifecta of the super who lock. And I've, I've now I, I, I'm in supernatural. I'm literally doing a doctor who rewatch as we speak. I just also have watched an episode like three days ago. That is like not an emotional episode by much. And I cried my fucking eyes out. You're officially a 2013 fangirl on Tumblr. <laughs> I love it. Ash, ultimately, thank you. This has been a fun thought exercise. I'm looking forward to 
following up by watching uh, Sherlock. So obviously when you hear this episode, hopefully by then I've tweeted a little bit about this to at least kind of like give an end to this thought bubble instead of leaving it hanging here. So I guess it's a quick plug to our socials <laughs> by mistake. Do you want to give your Twitter handle, Drew? Oh, at Boxless Thought, but you'll often see it tweeted and shared through the uh, at Carrying Wayward account along with Mary's account. So it's all there. Do you have any reflection and call to action this week? This episode reminds me that like, I really like helping people and helping someone can also help you. I often feel so much better about myself and with my own issues, even if I'm not actively working to fix them. But if I could then take the energy and help someone else, you know, bringing joy to others can help lift myself up from a dark place. So even when I'm having a bad day or I've received bad news, if I can somehow twist that into a way where I could use that energy to help people or even just bring a smile to a friend's face, it makes me feel so much better and then ironically does help me. So this episode reminds me, you know, maybe not absorb someone's literal inner demons, but help them because it can help myself. Definitely. And you, Mary, your thoughts and calls to action this week? I find that Sam's grit to hold on to his identity is really moving in this episode. And it's honestly just making me feel called to think about like what traits of myself I consider to be integral to my own identity. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Mary Vigou and myself, Drew Shulman. Thank you to everyone supporting us on Coffee or Patreon, and an extra thank you to our Bunker supporters, L, Jeremiah Thomas, and Simone. This week, we'd like to thank Asher for the message. You can go to carryingwayward.com for the links to our merch store and all of our socials. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron or a coffee subscriber. You can also leave us a rating on Spotify and a review on Apple Podcasts. Carry on our wayward friends. I think there's also a weird bias, like how long you knew the person before the break. Like there's a weird math equation there of like, if I knew you for three years and we went three years without seeing each other versus if I knew you for 20 years and went three years without seeing you, like it does feel different.